Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. Again, as Pastor Tim said, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at First Alliance, and I'm uh, so glad that you've joined us this morning for uh, church at home, whether you're in your bedroom or your living room, sitting on the couch, uh, trying to wrangle kids who won't let you sit still, and they won't sit still. Welcome. Welcome to church. Uh, We are diving into a passage of scripture this morning that I think is very timely for us at this time. We're not continuing a series. We're just going to be focusing on a passage in the New Testament from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so I invite you to take out a Bible and to have this passage before you. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll be considering verses 16 to 18. So please have that up uh, with you uh, to read together and as we consider God's word for us this morning. I'll read that for us now, and I'll I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of God for us this morning. I invite you to pray with me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and that you would help us in our weakness Not only our weakness to understand what you're saying to us in these words, but also our weakness to apply these words in our lives and live these out. Holy Spirit, come and transform us. Show Jesus Christ to us. Bring us near to the heart of the Father this morning that we might go out from here renewed to worship you in all things. And Jesus, we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. So yesterday, we just started another 28-day lockdown, and and now it's not just Toronto, now it's province-wide. And probably some of us, about mid-2020, we thought that maybe the year 2021 is going to be a little bit better than 2020 was. But so far, it's not quite looking that simple. And some of you might be losing heart. Some of you might be on the verge of breakdown. Some of you are are struggling with mental health or your marriage is is undergoing tremendous strain or you've lost your job or just the, the increasing uncertainty of these times is weighing you down. And so Paul's words come to us at a really good time. He says, so we do not lose heart. And so we do not lose heart. You see, Paul was writing these words in in his own anguish, in his own hardships that he was facing in his life and in his ministry. 
He had especially a strained relationship, believe it or not, with the Corinthian church, the church that he wrote this letter to and before this, the first letter to the Corinthians. Because of all the churches that Paul had a hand in starting, this church was like the child of his labor. It was his problem child. He poured himself out for them. He gave them years of his life. He served them diligently. And in spite of all this, they didn't really give him the respect he deserved as a leader. They thought he was unimpressive. They thought he was unremarkable. And actually, Paul was physically small in stature. He was was not an overwhelming presence. He was a small guy, and he wasn't even a good public speaker. He was also poor. He was a workman. He, he, He made and mended tents alongside of his ministry to support himself. And here's the thing with Paul that I don't think the Corinthians liked very much. He always seemed to be suffering. He always seemed to be suffering. And so they questioned his authority to lead. I love John Calvin's assessment of the Corinthian error. And it's an error that's very much alive today in how we view our leaders and even how we think uh, biblically and theologically about our lives. This is what John, John Calvin said. He said, under the influence of ambition, they held a man in higher estimation the farther he was from the cross. That under the influence of ambition, they held a man in higher estimation the further he was from the cross, the further he was from actually suffering for his faith in Christ. You see, other Christian leaders just looked so much more impressive than Paul did. They had higher status, they had nice clothes, they had good looks, they gave way better sermons. By all earthly standards, Paul was kind of a nobody. And the the Corinthian church was actually operating with those standards and and they were tossing them aside. Check out this picture. This is a picture of the cover of one of my favorite commentaries on 2 Corinthians. And you can see Paul there. He's standing there with the word of God and you see the Corinthians on the side. What are they doing? They're like shaking their fists at Paul. They're like, no, we don't want you. Can you imagine how Paul felt? Heartbroken flattened, maybe feeling like the only thing to do in this circumstance is just to give up. But he says, so we do not lose heart. See, he managed to persevere in following Jesus in the face of incredible affliction and opposition. Now, That was Paul's affliction, his suffering in his apostolic calling. And our affliction in this moment is is quite different. But we have something to learn from Paul about how to handle affliction without losing heart, how to handle suffering and hardship without losing heart as we follow Jesus today in our circumstances. So that's what I want you to consider with me today. How do we not lose heart? And there are three words in our text that I'm going to use to guide us through considering this question. Those three words are renewal, glory, and sight. Renewal, glory, and sight. Let's start with renewal. Look with me at verse 16. It says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So the first thing we need to see in this text is that Paul bears witness to a renewal, 
a renewal of what he calls the inner self. Now, some of your Bibles might say inner man or inner nature or more generally just inwardly, but in Greek, it's the word anthropos. And anthropos just means human. It's where we get our word anthropology, the study of humanity. And so what he's getting at is he's kind of advancing his own short biblical account of of what it means to be human. And he makes this distinction between the inner human and the outer human, the inner self and the outer self. And what he means by the outer self is our mortality. He means the bodily dimension of our existence. And, And here's what he says about it. He says it's wasting away. Our human experience confirms this, doesn't it? I mean, even at 31, I know that there is stuff in my body that isn't working like it did 10 years ago. I mean, we age, and things stop working like they're supposed to. We get sick, we get disease, our strength leaves us. And those of us who are seasoned know this very well, but this even happens to the young. I mean, just this past week, I heard the story of a 27-year-old just dying, and they don't even know why. The outer self is wasting away for the young and for the old. And by the way, there's nothing like a pandemic that just quite confirms the truth of this, hey? Now, Paul is not meaning to degrade our physical bodies or our mortality He's not saying that we shouldn't take care of our bodies, we shouldn't exercise and eat well and and do good self-care. What he is saying is that the outer self, you know, the the bodily existence is, is temporary. It's provisional. It's not eternal. Or rather, in the biblical account, our our physical self will give way to a resurrected self. But here's what he says about the inner human. He says, the inner human, the inner self is of lasting significance, even though you can't see it and nobody else can see your inner human. It's what really matters in the ultimate sense. And it's what we really need to pay attention to, especially in times of hardship. And tragically, it's, it's so often the first thing that we ignore. You see, the inner self, Paul says, is being renewed day by day. And if we can wrap our minds around what this means and, and how to have that play out in our lives, it's going to enable us to not lose heart as we follow Jesus. That we might have access to a power that renews us. Now, Paul is not talking about a general renewal of all of humanity in this way. He's not talking, he's not saying that, you know, if you practice mindfulness, if you practice meditation, if you do yoga or whatever, then you're going to tend to your inner self and be renewed. No, he's talking about a specific Christian renewal, a renewal for believers in Jesus. And it's, it's based upon the fact that we've been regenerated by God's spirit. We've, we've put our faith in Jesus. We've died into him and been risen into a new kind of life. And that in this regenerate life, he describes it as we get renewed. We get renewed on an ongoing basis. This is describing the uh, experience of a Christian, 
a life that is available to you and to me if you're a follower of Jesus, of ongoing renewal. And if you're not a Christian, I mean, the, the invitation is open to take your life trust, to take your faith and put it in Jesus and give your life to him. But this is specific to the Christian because, as we learn in the next verse, this renewal is connected to glory. This renewal is connected to the glory that awaits the Christian. So let's look at that second word, glory. Take your Bible and look in verse 17. It says, for... And this is giving us the reason for the renewal, for this light momentary affliction. Talking about the hardships of life and the wasting away of the outer self, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's a huge phrase. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And, and just as I stand here before you trying to unpack what this means, let's just say that what Paul is talking about here is ultimately inexpressible. We're trying to express the inexpressible. We're trying to explain the unexplainable, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. But here, here we go. Here's our best shot. What Paul is saying is that there is this great future hope that the Christian has that fuels this ongoing renewal of the inner human in us. That we're being prepared for something and it's something huge. It's something big. It's something that our present experience can't even latch onto or describe in human language. It's an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison glory. What is glory? It's not a word we use very much. Maybe sometimes in church you hear an old lady shouting glory, uh, but we don't really use it in our day-to-day conversations. Now, the basic meaning of glory in the Old Testament and New Testament, it, it literally means weightiness. It means weightiness. A person's glory is that thing in them that makes them weighty, that gives them weight, that gives them significance. It's their gravitas. And it's the significance uh, that also evokes honor and awe. Now, Paul calls it a weight of glory because he's bringing that meaning right into his definition in this verse. But there's one more thing that we need to say about glory in the Bible. It's that glory in the Bible is used in moments not only of weightiness or significance, but in moments when that significance becomes visible. In moments when the significance bursts through the realm of the unseen into the seen and becomes visible. So it's often pictured as this blinding and radiant light. Think about the Christmas story. When the angels came to some poor stinky shepherds out in the fields outside of Bethlehem, what happened in Luke, verse, uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, it says, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, these shepherds, and it says this, the glory of the Lord shone around them. It shone bright like this floodlight, displaying the glory of God, making visible what was invisible to them. Glory is significance made visible. 
And, and then the other place we see glory used a lot in the Bible is that people say the word glory. They say glory just like the angels said glory when they appeared. They said glory to God in the highest. And so what's happening is, they, is that they are giving God glory. They are engaging in an act of worship where they are making the significance of God made known. It's visible. It's audible. It, it, we see it. We hear it. Glory. Now, the renewal of the inner self is connected to the good news that, that this glory, this, this weightiness of God, the significance of God, this blinding radiance of God, which is something that is God's, the good news is, is that it's also something we're meant to share in. That this glory which belongs to God and is supremely God's is also something that through Jesus we get to share in. In his grace, it, it's not just his, it's, it's something that he wants to bring us in on. We get in on the glory of God. We get in on the eternal weight of glory that far surpasses anything that we ever thought was impressive or significant. That this eternal weight of glory is being prepared for us. That is such good news. Now think about the things that we usually think are impressive. A fast car, maybe. The latest technology, the latest iPhone, the ability for someone to command a room. A multi-million dollar business, maybe one million followers on YouTube. I mean, impressive, right? Just gaze at the eternal weight of God's glory and, and see if that doesn't change what you find impressive. See if that doesn't reorient your value structure and your worth structure and how you approach what is impressive in life. See if it doesn't change the way you see your circumstances, your pain, and your suffering because you have this perspective of the eternal weight of God's glory that is also being prepared for you. You see, the, the comparison of our present circumstances with the eternal weight of glory that is being prepared is a renewing grace in our lives. It's a grace because it has this way of converting our present affliction, not only because we have a renewed perspective, but also because our present circumstances become an opportunity to draw near to God and to welcome him to do what only he can do in our lives, to heal us, to restore us, to redeem us, to, to transform our character. Because the purpose of your life isn't for you to be happy, it's actually for you to be made holy. It's for, for you and I to become like Jesus, the only fully human uh, person who ever lived who showed us what it means to be human. See, he wants to make us like Jesus and our affliction presents us with the opportunity that in God's hands, these circumstances are an opportunity for God to do his work of transforming us and for investing our lives with a weightiness 
with a significance that we could have never imagined apart from him? Do we see our circumstances as an opportunity for glory? Not for our own glory, but for God's glory. Do I see our circumstances as an opportunity for his glory and, and in that preparing us to share in his glory? Now, I want to be careful here because uh, this text is not saying that this is the reason for the affliction happening. The matter of what causes certain circumstances, the matter of thinking through, you know, what caused COVID-19, right? Why are we enduring this global pandemic? Why is there suffering in the world? Uh, the question of, of the reason for suffering is deep and complex and nuanced. It's not saying that this is the reason this is happening in the world. What it is saying is that the affliction is there. The affliction is there. And this is saying that God is able to redeem and use it for our good. It's saying that God's will is involved, that he is not powerless, and that his power even runs on a deeper stream using even what was meant for our destruction for good. Isn't that incredible? That given into the hands of God, our affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Renewal, glory, and sight. So we've looked at glory as the significance of God made visible. And so it shouldn't come as a, a surprise to us that in the very next verse, Paul talks about our sight. Look at verse 18 with me. It says, uh, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's strange. How do you look at something that's unseen? In order to look at something, it needs to be visible, right? Right? The word that Paul uses for look here isn't the general word for sight in the New Testament. The word he uses is the word scopeo, which you might detect, you see the word scope in there. It's where we get the English word scope. And a scope, as you know, is a tool used for viewing things. So like a microscope and a telescope or just a regular old scope. And so it's not just about seeing in general, he's being a bit metaphorical here, it's not just about seeing in general, but it's about setting our sights, it's about setting the aim of our life. It's about calibrating the scope. It's about setting the scope on, on what it needs to be set. And so Paul describes the life that is being renewed in the hope of glory as one of, of this ongoing setting of our sights. Intentionally, where? He says on the things that are unseen. Not on the outward human, not on what is temporary, but on what is unseen, on what is of eternal significance. Uh, this is a calling to set our sights on the glory which is now veiled that will one day be revealed, that is being prepared for us now, that one day we will enjoy in its fullness. 
This is a very different aim from the aim of the world. And we can say more about this aim, this, this scopeo, this setting our sights. You see, the Bible and Christianity, they're not satisfied with talking about glory in general. But rather, they bring us to see glory in the face of Jesus Christ. They bring us to see glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 4 and verse 6, you can even look there with me in your Bible. Check out what Paul says. He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He, he's already said that before he now goes on to talk about the renewal and the glory in the sight. That he said that this glory, we come into a knowledge of it in the face of Jesus Christ. And the face of Jesus Christ, it's not meaning like literally his face. The face is, is an expression used to talk about the whole person. Because let's face it, when you want to look at someone, where do you look? Right? If you're in conversation with someone, where do you look? Do you look at their, their toes? Do you, do you look at their hand? No, you look at their face. You look at their face. Because it captures the essence of a person. It captures their will. Uh, it captures what they're feeling and thinking. It's where you relate to them. And so, brothers and sisters, we don't need to guess at where to set our sights. We need to set it on Jesus, who is the invisible God made visible. It's in Jesus that we come to know the glory of God now, that it isn't just this pie-in-the-sky glory someday that we have this loose hope for, but that now we experience this glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Yes, the full manifestation of that glory is coming, but even now, Jesus is alive. He is risen and ascended, and he has sent his Holy Spirit upon us that we might live in his glory now. This also comes to bear on our sufferings. Because if we set our sight on the face of Jesus Christ as disclosed in the Gospels, we set our sight on the crucified one. We set our sight on the one who suffered. We set our sight on the one who uh, didn't shrink back from doing the will of the Father, even though it cost him everything, including his life. I love how Tom Smale, who's an Anglican charismatic theologian, puts it in his book, The Forgotten Father. He says, if we are joint heirs with Christ, we will have what he had. And that was suffering and glory, and glory through suffering. And then he says this, to go Christ's way and to be conformed into his likeness is to reach that glory through suffering through a participation in his cross. That's why Paul suffered. That's why he lived a cross-shaped life, because his values had been totally flipped upside down by the stunning victory of God in the cross and in the stunning victory of Jesus' resurrection. He lived with a different aim, all because he had seen the life-transforming glory of God in the face of Jesus. And let me just say, brothers and sisters, for you and I, this, this comes into our experience 
very practically through the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, if we rewind even further in 2 Corinthians, check out what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is, the image of God in Christ, from one degree of glory to another. And then he says this, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who who does this renewing and transforming work in us, who who brings us from one degree of glory to another. And so right now, the hope of future glory breaks into the present moment. The presence of glory can be experienced now by us uh, through Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And so this is where we need to aim the scope of our lives. We need to set our sights on Jesus. And we need to make room for his spirit to come and renew us. See, this is the only way we can live and not lose heart. This is the only way you and I can follow Jesus and not grow despondent or bitter or even to not fall away that we are renewed day by day by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're going to enter into a time of reflection now, but first I want to pray for us as we do so. So will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for sending your Son and your Holy Spirit to bring us into your life and into your love. Jesus, I thank you for displaying the glory of God in your life. I thank you for the grace of bringing us into your glory through your cross. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come, that you would come and renew us, that you would do a work in us of of helping us to set our sight on the glory of God and that this would be a transforming vision that renews us to live for you and worship you in all things. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.